Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And we, you'll have noticed we aren't putting the number of the episodes because we've realised that they don't make any sense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we've put so many things in between and there's multiple episodes on one person. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just an episode. Yes, and it's not like they're chronologically ordered in any way, so there's no real point in calling them no. a number. <laughs> We're going so far back and forward in time. Yeah, you're confused, we're confused. Yes. <laughs> so, an episode. Yes. But today we've got the second episode on Ferdinand of Aragon. We do, but first but of first, all... first, <laughs> Lucy thought she got away with something. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. She's the one that brought up that we completely forgot the quiz. <laughs> we did. And I have to say, it's actually quite some time since we've done one of these normal episodes. It's a long yes. time since we've done De Ayala, which yes. is what the quiz is about. Um <laughs> Yeah, we've had special episodes, Patreon episodes, cameo episodes, but not a regular episode for a while. Yeah. yeah. So we've forgotten how to do it. Sure. So the quiz, the quiz is now then. Yes. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so who was he again? <laughs> I'll give you a hint. He was Spanish. <laughs> Okay, number one. What did De Ayala do to ingratiate himself with James of Scotland? Drinking, hunting, um, raiding the English yes. <laughs> towns. <laughs> raiding the intra- English countryside when he was supposed to be creating a peace treaty between the two. <laughs> yes. Correct. Oh, what a naughty boy. <laughs> two. What unusual expenses did De Ayala rack up in Scotland that James paid for? Oh, damages. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> damages to properties. <laughs> Number three. He was a one, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. Name two things that may have been reasons for De Ayala to remain in London. Uh, well, so he was meant to be there for his good of his health, I seem to remember. Yes, but these are other reasons. He preferred the wine yes. down there, and he preferred, he thought it was more courtly. Yes, continental sort manners. Of, yes. Yes. Accommodations Ooh. were better, and also the networking was better. And the beer in Scotland was notoriously bad over here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So far, three out of three. Ooh. Number four. What did De Ayala use to bait De Puebla? His religion. Yes. Yes. The fact that he was Jewish. Yep. And mm. finally, De Ayala was instrumental in one specific part of the treaty between England and Scotland. What was that part? Was it? The marriage with poor little Margaret. Yes, yes, it was. Whoa. He had to convince him it wasn't a Spanish princess, but an English princess was just as good. Oh, we might hear a little bit about that later. Ah, five <laughs> out of five. Nice. Whoa. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I'm feeling inadequate again. <laughs> well, yes, because as you were saying before, you've got several episodes of Ferdinand to contend with yes. the next quiz. <laughs> okay. Enough quizzing already. Let's get on with it. Well, first we'd like to thank a 
what do we call it? Um, Tudor Rose. Our patron new Tudor who Roses. has joined since last week and goes by the mysterious epithet of E. Ooh. So, thank you, E. <laughs> I respond with an ooh. Thank you very much. We really cannot say how much we appreciate people supporting us. It allows us to keep on going without our husbands saying, why are you spending all this money? (laughs) You spent how much on a single book? (laughs) I love you. But yes, we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, each and every one of you. This would be very difficult without it. Yes, and thank you to everybody listening. I'm actually surprised how many downloads we get. When we started, I figured it was so niche we'd have like 10. <laughs> We're nearly at 30,000. I but know. By the time this comes out, we'll be over 30,000. Yes, and it's just That's astounding. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, people actually listen to this rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> what I started wondering is like, did you subscribe out of pity? <laughs> <laughs> Well, people are nuts. It's the wrong one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, on to Ferdinand. Ferdinand, who, yes. So far, I've been really impressed with what you've been talking about. It's been quite a surprise. Yes. He's, and I think you probably, well, impressed is, it's difficult with any of these people to say you're impressed, isn't it? <laughs> because yes. you're impressed by how much they do and how tenacious they are. Yes. Not... It, by anything particularly that they do that you think, wow, that's good. Yes. <laughs> the timeline here goes all over the place since I'm looking at several things that happened concurrently. Okay. I, hopefully I've made it clear when we go back in time because we'll be doing Philip and Juana and then going on to the Italian Wars and then doing a bit on colonies. Right. And each time we go back to the beginning and start all over again. I find this part the hardest when we're writing our notes or trying to figure out how to put it together when you've got so many things happening in so many different areas and it's around Mm. the same timeline and you kind of have to jump back in time in order to explain things. I find that's the hardest for us to keep going in a sensical, sensical, is that a word? Sensical, fine, yes. (laughs) Manner. Yeah, that's why I did uh, Maximilian in Linear because I thought, I want to show how busy he was. How yes. Crazily busy and he was all over the place. But I haven't done it with Ferdinand because they just seem to fall in different categories. So. Right. Okay. So we're starting with Ferdinand, Philip and Juana. 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 I can't wait for one of us to get Juana. Yes. Well, don't say that because if I, if I get get to the end of the next episode, it's going to look as if the whole thing is rigged. <laughs> It's not rigged. It's not rigged. It's really not rigged. In fact, I may be missing a couple more. He pulled apart the bag and took all of the cards out. So I I just reprinted them all again. I'm finding them in hiding places throughout the house. Again, we should mention this is your cat and not your This is my cat. (laughs) In July 1505, Ferdinand and Isabella both went down with fever. Ferdinand got better, but Isabella couldn't shake it off. Yes. Ferdinand wrote to Juana and Philip, quote, Keep it secret what I'm about to tell you. No living person apart from the prince and princess should know. I've not wanted to write before about the illness and imposition of the serene queen, my dear and much-loved wife. You find they always do that, don't they? I mean, you're writing to your own family and you still feel you have to explain who the queen is. Yes, yes. And put in that, I love you, I'm your best friend. I'm much beloved. 
Yes. Because I thought that our Lord would give her health. But given what has happened and her current state, I am fearful that our Lord might take her. Unquote. And he told them to be ready to head to Spain should the worst occur. So at this point, all seems amicable between them. Yes. Mm. Ferdinand was already making sure that he wouldn't be sidelined. Quote, with my advice, so they do not make mistakes, they will be better able to handle affairs and fill positions here, unquote. Fill positions. That doesn't sound like take over. Yeah, well, there's the, there's the bin man you could do. <laughs> <laughs> the janitor just left. We need a new one. <laughs> well, it's, it does sound, though, as if Ferdinand was intending his role to be advisory rather than sort of move over you two. I've, I've got this covered. Okay. Isabella prepared for death. She wanted her debts paid, so she issued orders about what could be sold off. Ferdinand could take any objects, quote, if on setting eyes on them, they bring to mind the special love that I always felt for him, unquote. Which is a nice sentiment. Yes. Yeah. Did Ferdinand lay his eyes on everything and say, <laughs> it all brings her to mind. Yes. You can have that thimble, though. I don't really like that thimble. Yes. That big pile of money. <laughs> oh, it really makes me think of it. Well, no, she ruined it a bit by adding, and if that memory allows him to live a holier and more just life, <laughs> bearing in mind that we all die <laughs> and I shall be waiting for him on the other side. And I'm sure that's meant to be lovely, but it just sounds like a threat. <laughs> yes, <isn't> it? It <laughs> does. <laughs> I'll be there on the other side. I'm watching you. <laughs> that also makes, means that she's assuming she's going to heaven. And that he's coming with yes. her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, even the... Even the nice stuff is tinged with a sort of sharp comment about he could do better. <laughs> <laughs> she must have been so overbearing. I think so. Yeah. Quite hard to live with. When Isabella died, Ferdinand realised the impact it would have on him. And he was genuinely saddened. He wrote to Henry VII saying that it was, it was the greatest affliction that could have befallen him because he had lost, quote, the best and most excellent wife that king ever had, unquote. The king or a king? That king. That, ah. that, a, that king ever had. <laughs> okay. King with a capital K. <laughs> but Ferdinand lost more than his most excellent wife. He'd lost Castile, as it was Juana's. Yes. At least for the time being. Yes. Philip made sure that Ferdinand and Isabella had heard what a hard time he was having with their unbalanced daughter. Right, the diary. Yeah, well, it must have been very distressing for them to hear, but now that could be turned to Ferdinand's advantage. Yes, I can. I wonder if Philip ever thought maybe this will go sadly the bad way, or it will be taken a different way, or it can be used a different way. I don't know. Maybe he sent it off and then mentioned it to his advisors, and they said, we've yeah. done what with that diary? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, get it back. Oh, no, yes. we can't. He's already got it. Oh, no. Fortunately for Ferdinand, Isabella's will would be some help to him. Seeing how tightly Philip controlled Juana and not wanting to see the Spanish kingdom fall into the hands of Philip, she added the clause to her will, quote, if Princess Donna Juana should be absent from them, that's the lands, and after having come to them and stayed in them for some time, may be obliged to leave them again, or that although being present she might not like or might be unable to reign or govern, and is that saying she's mentally unstable or yes. uh, that Philip wouldn't let her? It's hard to tell. 
Quote, I have have directed and ordained in my testimonial and will that in each of the aforementioned cases, the king, my lord, shall reign instead of and in the name of the princess, our daughter, until my grandson, the Infante Don Carlos, has attained the age required by law for governing and reigning, or has at least accomplished his 20th year, unquote. Charles was four, so yes, long, that's long a long way to go. Yeah. Ferdinand publicly acknowledged Juana's claim on the very day of Isabella's death. Really? That's surprising. Yeah, it was. He went to the marketplace in Medino del Campo and announced that he was giving up his title of King of Castile and that Juana and Philip should come straight to Spain. Really? Hmm. But all this talk of my loving daughter should rule was all a front. Ah, there we go. Ferdinand made his move. At the Council of Toro in 1505, he presented evidence that Juana was unfit to govern, pointing to the clause in Isabella's will. And I couldn't find out what the evidence was, but as you say, it could well be that diary. The council agreed, which was pretty much inevitable since that's what councils were for in Castile. (laughs) Rubber stamping. (laughs) Okay. Clunk. Yep. And so power passed into Ferdinand's hands. It's that easy. Wow. Wow. Yes, it may be, to give Ferdinand his due, that he'd read the diary and really believed that his daughter was mentally ill and not wanting the country to fall into the hands of Philip, since neither he nor Isabella had ever ever liked the odious slime ball. Yes, he's not a nice guy. No. He's one of the lower of the nasty guys. Yes, maybe Ferdinand thought he was doing the decent thing by taking the reins. It's hard to tell. Hmm. The council had agreed to this, but would the rest of the Castilian grandees go along with it? Because strangely, Ferdinand was not particularly liked in Castile. Oh, really? I wonder why. Ferdinand and Isabella had brought in the centrist policies that saw a number of the Castilian nobility deprived of their feudal lands, rights and privileges. Yes, and some of those privileges they had had for hundreds of years. Indeed. It would be like somebody taking away your medical care right now. Hmm. Oh, (laughs) that's that's not a good laugh. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. Uh, They may have accepted it more from Isabella since she was Castilian, but Ferdinand was a foreigner and he was telling them that they couldn't do all the things that had happily been doing, well, particularly under the rule of Isabella's brother. Yes. People don't like foreigners as a rule, do they? No, they don't, especially when they come in and start dictating things to them. Hmm. And now it's payback time. And it was in their best interest to replace this monarch who knew Castile and had been reigning there for some time with a novice. Right. While they could do it with the law on their side, because while there was a transition time, they could say, no, we're going for this one without being treasonous. Because then they could set about manipulating Philip. So Ferdinand only had a handful of nobles, albeit powerful ones, on his side. So Ferdinand did a bit of lateral thinking. And when you think about what Spain's foreign policy had been about since Ferdinand and Isabella took the thrones, what had been their reason for marrying their children into England and Burgundy? It was to surround the common enemy, France. France, yes. Providing both the buffer and backup to each other against the one country that nobody seemed to like. Yes. Except, worryingly, Philip. Philip. (laughs) So what did Ferdinand do? He allied with France. What? (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. 
On the 12th of October, 1505, Ferdinand and Louis XII of France had signed the Second Treaty right. of Blois. I had forgotten about that. I even wrote about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. Which it was an alliance strengthened by marriage as well. Yes. And this overwrote the previous treaty that Louis had had with Philip. Yes. And it stipulated that Ferdinand would marry Louis's niece, Chemaine of Foix. Poor girl. Ferdinand's old. He's 53. He's old. How old is she? 16. Mm. But he's not her uncle. That's better. But still, I can imagine when I was a kid, that age, being told I would marry somebody who's older than my father. Mm. Nope. It's shocking now, but presumably... Was it shocking then? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Well... It depends. In nobility, it was not strange. But if you go down to merchant classes, peasant classes, and farmers, the age difference is a lot smaller. They get married later, and they get married closer in age. And they get married to people they like. Sometimes, yes. Yeah, not always. But (laughs) In merchant families, it was quite often a business transaction. (laughs) Yeah, but as a peasant family... Yeah, you're not 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 really bringing anything, and they're (laughs) not going to give you anything. No. Yeah, even worse for Philip, any military action taken by either Philip or Maximilian against either Ferdinand or Louis would have to overcome a joint French-Aragonese force. Which would be very strong. Yes. Philip had, in just one day, lost both his allies, that's Maximilian and Louis, Yes, and possibly the crown of Aragon, because any male child born to Ferdinand and Germain would, would... bypass Juana. Yes, does or that, Philip. I don't remember if that treaty that they entered into included any of the Italian states, or was it just Aragon and France? I'm gonna, I'll come to that later. When we, okay. when, we do it, when we do Italy, I'll come to that. Okay. Philip briefly contemplated the option of armed conflict against Ferdinand. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> laugh, but Burgundy was not that big of a country, and he doesn't really have control of Castile yet. <laughs> No, but he has 2,000 German mercenaries. <laughs> but then, who doesn't? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, he was talked out of it by his advisers, who said that depriving <laughs> Ferdinand of any options and pushing him into a corner would leave only one viable path, and that would be civil war, <laughs> which wouldn't be great. Oh, my gosh. That would have been one of the dumbest moves in history. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think we've, we've seen, we've seen Burgundy. equally. For Burgundy, yeah. it would have been one of the dumbest moves. Yeah. Meanwhile, Philip had been in contact with Ferdinand. How about they create a union between all three of them, Ferdinand, Philip and Juana? Oh, a triarchy. Yeah, and then they could declare Juana insane, and then Ferdinand and Philip could rule jointly. Oh. Hey, hey, Dad, what do you say? Go on, Dad, go on. Yeah. Yeah. But what would be in this for Ferdinand? Because he's already ruling. And he already had the Council of Toro saying that he should be ruling. Right. But, as I said, Ferdinand was not popular in Castile. No, and it would stop the possibility of a war. Yes. Hmm. And Philip was more popular in Castile, not for anything he'd done, but just because he wasn't Ferdinand. Yes, he's new. He's shiny. Hmm. Yes, and he's malleable. Yes. (laughs) Or potentially malleable. Between the two of them, they'd got both sides covered. They got the legal side, because... Ferdinand's already there, and the popular side. 
And then once that was settled, they could probably get on with discrediting each other, and so the winner would get to rule alone. But for now, this could work quite well. You know, a tripartite system yeah. with just the two of them. Yeah, not a, not a triarchy. I read that it was Henry VII siding with Philip that made Ferdinand accept Philip's rule. Really? Yeah, but then I thought, well, can that be right? Because Henry was very underhanded about who he was siding with. And Ferdinand was not meant to know about no, this Philip thing. No, he wasn't. And Henry was paying De Ayala to work on his behalf, not on Philip's. No, but, and that was the whole point of the business with creating back channels via Donna Elvira, Catherine's uh, lady-in-waiting, yes, and yes. her brother, which we heard about in Philip's episode, and we'll hear more about in a cameo about Elvira. But the more I read, the more I realised that Ferdinand, like Henry, knew everything. Because Henry had his spies and Ferdinand had his ambassadors. And we know that Ferdinand was being told all about Henry's sneaky behaviour with Philip through de Puebla. Yes, and de Ayala. Probably, yes, but definitely de Puebla and uh, nothing, nothing secret. No. <laughs> seems. One thing I didn't spot when I researched Philip, but which raised, raised him in my estimation... Before he arrived in Spain, Philip suspended the Inquisition in Castile. Really? Yeah, which is a good thing. Why? Unexpected. Unexpectedly good. I don't know. I just assumed that he thought he didn't like it. Good, because you shouldn't like it. No, <laughs> you shouldn't like it. <laughs> I just feel like after all of what we talked about with Philip, that he has a different reason than just it's not a good thing. You don't hear about about religious tension so much in Burgundy. True. But mm. we also... I didn't find many resources for Burgundy. No, no, I didn't. It was, mm. well, Philip, Philip was a bit like um, Ferdinand. You have to look at other people's stories to, <laughs> to find out about them. When Philip and Juana arrived in Spain in 1506, Ferdinand decided his best bet was to side with Philip however much they might dislike each other. It was better for him to rule jointly with Philip, at least for the time being, than to risk confrontation with him. So they had both realised that a truce made more sense than civil war. Okay. Which was quite nice, because yes. that's not always the way people think. No. <laughs> and where did Juana come in all this? In Nowhere. a comment? <laughs> well, no, she's in seclusion, but a seclusion of her own making at the moment. Oh. She's waiting for her father before she'd act on anything. Okay not realising that it had all been decided and she wasn't part of this decision at oh, all. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. On 27th of June, 1506, Ferdinand met Philip. Neither of them invited Juana. Wow. And they decided that, quote, the most intimate friendship and alliance, unquote, would prevail between them. Ferdinand said that he saw Philip as his, quote, very dear and much beloved son, unquote. Liar. <laughs> they regretted that Juana was, quote, not inclined on any condition to occupy herself in the in the dispatch of any business concerning the royal prerogatives and government, unquote. You left her away. No, it's okay. Juana doesn't want to do it anyway. Oh, so it's fine. no, not. I don't think so. Well, we actually won't know until we do want it. But so far, it seems like she wanted to. But mm. she wants to speak to her father before she makes any decisions and nothing's happening. Well, just to hammer it home. Ferdinand said, quote, considering her infirmities and sufferings, which for the sake of her honour are not expressed, 
and being desirous to remedy and prevent the evils and inconveniences which would be the consequence thereof, it has been concluded between us and the Most Serene King, our son, that in case the Most Serene Queen, either from her own choice or from being persuaded by other persons, should attempt to meddle in the government or to confound and oppose the said treaty, neither we nor the said Most Serene King, our son, shall suffer it but on the contrary, shall be unanimous in preventing it. Unquote. Wow, she's the heir. They ganged up on her. Oh, not mm. okay. <laughs> no, that's dad, that is, speaking there. Dad. Jeez. And then as we saw in Philip's episode, Ferdinand left for Italy. And we'll look at what he was up to there in a, in a bit. On 12th of July, 1506... The Cortes of Valad Valladolid, Valladolid, Valladolid. Doesn't I sound have no very idea. Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> they legitimised Philip as Philip the First of Castile, and when you think we're in July 1506, so yeah, it's not going to last long. No. After Ferdinand left Castile, Philip had to make huge concessions to the nobility that supported him. Uh oh. Yeah, it was as if the Iberian Peninsula had returned to the way it was prior to 1475. Oh, no. Castile and Aragon were again two separate realms, ruled by two separate monarchs. Except this time, they can't stand each other. So. Oh, no. In a way, it's worse. Yes. Although Philip's reign was short, very short, a lot happened in that time to threaten everything Ferdinand and Isabella had worked for 29 years to achieve. It's amazing how quickly it can go backwards. Yes. And it just takes one person who's not strong enough or intelligent enough to do it. Or doesn't want to do it, yeah. Yes. The very same day that Ferdinand left for Italy, Uh-oh. he announced that the treaty with Philip had been signed under duress on his part. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which, as we know, makes it null and void. Yes. He said that he went there, quote, with that good faith which ought to subsist between father and son, unquote, to find that Philip had a powerful and strong army, which is true, he did. He added 2,000 landsknechts. <sighs> and Ferdinand had practically turned up on his own and gave, him, gave Philip a paternal hug and then sort of wrong-footed him. And Philip was in full armour and Ferdinand was, I don't know, in his gardening trousers and slippers, <laughs> from what I could gather. <laughs> What about these spies he's supposed to have? Well, yeah, but he's there all on his own. And Philip, Philip's there with 2,000 other people. Oh. I'm not sure he wasn't all on his own, but... Yeah, he said he felt that his life was, quote, in notorious and manifest danger, unquote. And he'd been made to sign away his own rights and that of his daughter. Philip was, Ferdinand claimed, quote, determined to usurp the administrations of this kingdom, unquote, and that he had deprived Juana, quote, of her liberty and all that belongs to an heiress and proprietress of these kingdoms, unquote. If he'd been at liberty, he'd never have agreed to, quote, such enormous injustice, unquote. He's very self-serving, isn't he? Well, what's going on? Is he on, is he on his daughter's side or, or not? I'm going to go with no. If this was power politics, then Ferdinand was very good at it, because he'd not only announced that he intended to rule himself, but he'd also shown Philip to be a militaristic thug. Yes. And, and was he, or did he bring those mercenaries for his own protection because he didn't trust his father-in-law? 
who had repeatedly shown himself not to be particularly trustworthy. Yes. If Ferdinand was backtracking on all he'd said about Juana, why did he make no effort to see her? Because Juana does try to see him at this time, and we'll, but we'll keep that sorry incident for our own episode, because oh. it's very sad. Okay. Yeah. But before you go away with the idea that Ferdinand was not a terribly nice person, whatever he was doing here, he was doing for the best possible motives. He wrote to Henry VII to say that all he wanted was peace in his country so that he could concentrate on going on crusade right. <laughs> to North Africa to fight the Moors. So it's a pious thing he's doing. Sure, sure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but here, strangely, he does seem to have backed out since the agreement they then made was that Ferdinand would rule the country when Philip and Juana were away. Okay. He also advised Philip to be gentle with Juana for the good of her health and don't go locking her up in any fortresses. And then he set off, not for North, North Africa, but for Italy. So there was trouble at Naples. So oh. I think he thought, leave them to it for a bit. I'll go and sort out Italy and then we'll see how it goes. Oh, gosh. He still hadn't visited his daughter, though. Gosh. But as he was leaving, he might have said, oh, and by the way, Philip, don't forget that dowry for Catherine, because if you want to be ruler, that's your responsibility now. Right. Yes. Oh, and another thing. We're talking about Henry Seventh here, so get a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting, because when we talk about anybody talks about her in England, it's Catherine of Aragon. It's not mm. Catherine of Castile. No. No, I suppose she... Yeah, she's never lived in Aragon, for as no. I know, is she? Not that I'm aware of. No, strange, isn't it? Yes. However, he left that little parting gift in Philip's court that we either have or will talk about in Elvira's episode, in that he corrupted Philip's most influential counsellors, <laughs> granting them uh, ten of them pensions for life. So, And one of those was Elvira's brother. I wish somebody would grant me a pension for life. You'd be corrupted... Would that be all right? Probably not. Mostly because, what do you mean? What do you need? If you just need me to say no every once in a while, eh, maybe. Because <laughs> it sounds like a lot of these people manage to take the money and not do what they're told anyway. True. Certainly Maximilian managed that. Yes. <laughs> Quite easily, without yes. any scruples. Philip was annoyed to find that he'd not be able to rule exactly as he pleased. The Admiral of Castile, who was, happened to be a cousin of Ferdinand, and the Constable of Castile pressured Philip to let Juana accompany him at every public event and co-sign every one of his decrees. So he doesn't really want that. He doesn't want her. No, he wants his other ladies. And if, if she came out, I'm, either she's a gibbering wreck, in which case he probably doesn't want her next to him. Yes. Or there's nothing wrong with her. And people will see there's nothing wrong with her. Hmm. You never know, once we get to her episode, we might find she actually is sadly ill, but... Possibly. It's not the thing I'm getting at the moment. It all got a tad petty as Philip and Ferdinand deliberately antagonised each other. To start with, Philip refused to extradite Cesare Borgia to Aragon. Ha, ha, he was. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we've got three lovely people <laughs> in one place. <laughs> he was imprisoned at the time in Castile, despite the fact he was an Aragonese prisoner of war. Philip then barred merchants from Aragon from trading in Seville or from sponsoring direct ex expeditionary fleets to, into the Indies. In other words, a trade blockade. Yes. 
Philip replied in kind by sponsoring privateer raids from Biscay, targeting Flemish merchant vessels. In other words, piracy. Piracy. <laughs> Jeez. He also expelled all Castilians from Naples, including Gonzalo de Córdoba, el gran capitán. Yes. Why? Why is he expelling Castilians? Uh, because it's just it's just tit for tat. You've done this, I've done that. It still goes on, okay. doesn't it? But, um, yeah. Countries expel uh, the ambassadors from another country, so that yes. country then expels them. Um, and, of course, uh, Cordoba was responsible for taking Naples for Ferdinand, which we'll come to in a minute. And who knows where this would have ended? Probably civil war. But in September 1506, Philip died. It's probably one of the most... I don't fortunate. want to say fortunate deaths. <laughs> fortunate. <laughs> but it, it really was, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Even after Philip's death, Ferdinand couldn't forgive him. In a letter to Catherine, Ferdinand described Philip as the enemy of his whole house, of himself, Queen Juana and Princess Catherine. Really? Oh, yeah. How did he prove Which, that he was against Catherine? I think he's just ranting. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> As we all know, Juana the Mad wouldn't let Philip's body be buried, but insisted on keeping it with her at all times because she was completely off her trolley. At least that's the story. Yes, and was she off her trolley because they had been gaslighting her for so many years, or was she off her trolley in the first place? We will not know. Well, when we do her episode, we'll discover that there's, this is a huge slur on Juana's character. Really? Yes. I have deliberately not touched her. Well, I, I haven't been able to help it because I had to read a book about Juana to get to Ferdinand. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> but this this slur was quite useful for Ferdinand. He claimed that Juana and her counsellors had pleaded with him to return to Spain and rule her because a woman, even a woman as capable as Isabella, couldn't have done it without the aid of a man, so... Liar. <laughs> he wrote to Catherine, quote, I am determined with the help of God to go to Castile during the spring because the Queen... My daughter and your sister, she knows that. Yes. Why is he telling her that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one that's a bit older than you. Yes. Sort of, bro sort of reddish hair. You know the one. <laughs> Continually sends and begs me very pressingly to do so. And all write to me that after God, there is no other means to preserve these kingdoms from ruin and destruction except my return to them, unquote. Well, I don't know. I'm not certain, but I'm, I think that's probably an out-and-out -out lie. <laughs> yes, I can't. I don't think Juana was asking him to come back. Maybe her advisors were. I don't know. I couldn't find any information about it. We'll find out when we do her. But the tactic worked. He came back and Juana must have realised that it was all up as far as her ruling was concerned. In Ferdinand's letters to Catherine, he said that Juana was incapable of ruling because the death of her husband had devastated her so much. Because presumably he wanted to show Catherine that Although Juana may have seemed all right for that short time that Catherine had seen her yes. when they got shipwrecked in England, grief had meant that she'd been on a downward spiral ever since. Okay. So that explains, if Catherine said, well, I don't know, she seemed all right to me, he could say, oh, well, you should see her now. Yes, but at the same time, like after seeing people with Alzheimer's and dementia, you can have conversations sometimes for a day or two where everything seems normal and then you'll see that one thing that's like, Mm, that's not right. But it's the fact that he sort of was stressing it. Maybe if it's true, then obviously he would stress it. Yes. So that makes it difficult. But the two sisters had been corresponding. 
But Catherine believed all her father told her, quote, I'm so glad your highness is returning to Castile. The advantages are very great, not to speak of the comfort and consolation of the queen. That's how I am. Unquote. So poor Juana couldn't even look to her sister for help. Yes. Also, since Donna Elvira had been introducing Catherine to the world of stratagems and politicking, right. uh, she was enjoying being party to her father's politicking and little realised that by doing it, she was isolating her sister. Mm-hmm. She really made quite a mess with all her getting involved, really, didn't she? Yes, she really did. She didn't have any training. They just threw her to the wolves. Yes, and she thought she was doing it all for the best, and none of it turned out to be for the best. Yes. After being delayed by bad weather, Ferdinand arrived back in Spain in July 1507 with his new wife, Germaine. Although he left her behind in Aragon while he travelled to Castile, I think he thought it might muddy the waters even more if he arrived... With another queen? ...to see his daughter. Yes. Doesn't always go down well, does it? No. Stepmother. Younger than you. Yes. Quite a bit younger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he wrote to Catherine, telling her of the cheering crowds that he met on his journey across Spain and how pleased Juana had been to see him, and that she told him that he should do whatever he thought best quote, for the peace and security of the kingdom, unquote. I'm sure she was pleased to see him because her mother and husband had died. Her siblings are far away. She mm-hmm. probably was quite pleased to see her, see her dad. Yes. And maybe he was pleased to see her. Be nice to think so. Yes. Well, Ferdinand then started signing all the documents for her in her name. But then he took her to Tordesillas, where she was locked up. He locked her up? Yep. Ferdinand, who had told <sighs> Philip not to lock her in a fortress, locked her had in a done fortress. just that, yes. But don't think he's some kind of monster. Because he, <laughs> <laughs> he said, quote, Sending my daughter to Tordesillas proved more draining than facing the French cannons on the battlefield, unquote. And it could, could have two interpretations, but we can look at this in Juana's episode. Maybe he really believed she was ill and that he was providing her with a safe and comfortable environment to aid her recovery so that he would feel, you know, you don't. nobody wants to section their own family, do they? Especially their own daughter. True. But maybe he's just blagging it. Either possibility is possible, because it's a possibility, um, but not knowing is going to make rating him quite tricky, I think. Yes. I can't yeah. help it. I think negatively of him still. Hmm. He was worried about her, though. So worried that he visited her every two months because she sometimes refused to eat or drink. So, you know, any loving father would be worried. Yes. And also, and obviously this isn't the reason he's worried. If she died, the throne would go to her son, Charles. Oh, jeez. Although he was only nine and would probably need his grandfather to help him As rule. regent. He did have another grandfather. Right. Ferdinand was very keen that Maximilian didn't muscle in on right. Spanish affairs. I completely forgot about that. Mm. And Maximilian would totally go for that. Oh, he'd love it. Yes. Castile is turning out to be quite a nice little money spinner as well by this yes. point. Isn't it? We've had uh, we've had the ocean blue bit. Yes. So, hmm. From 1506 to 1516, Ferdinand, as well as ruling Aragon and the Indies, was also regent of Castile. 
Then a son was born to Ferdinand and Germain on the 3rd of May, 1509, but sadly the child didn't survive for more than a few hours. So oh. that explains why we don't have their child. Gosh, that would be so hard. Heartbreaking and frustrating. Yes. I think. Yes. Right. The Italian Wars. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> yes. I'm going back a bit now. <laughs> Start from the beginning again. I'm concentrating on Ferdinand's attempt to take and then hang on to Naples. Because there are other times when Ferdinand was part of the enterprises to take over Venetian land or try and protect the Pope and various other things. Some of them with English assistance, but um, that will be subject to part three. And the Italian wars are such a massive and such a complicated saga that I think Naples will be quite enough to be going on with. So we're going back to 1494 and Charles is setting off to Italy again. Okay. Initially, as we've seen with other rulers, Charles VIII's decision to invade Italy was quite handy for Ferdinand. Okay. Because Charles wanted to make sure he left everything safe at home while he went off on his little jaunt. Right. So he'd signed the Treaty of Atapla with Henry, giving him money and promising not to harbour Perkin. He gave Maximilian bits of Burgundy. And he returned Sedania and Roussillon to Ferdinand. And we saw in the last episode oh, right, those cities. how much he was keen on having, getting those back. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, it's all done. He's got them. So, Without a fight. Nice. Yes. Um, Charles presumably said to him, what can I do to stop you being a pain while I'm away? Ah, funny you should say that. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he had actually already gained Roussillon militarily and pushed further into France. But the treaty with Charles meant that he, he, kept had, it. he he'd secured it now because we all know how binding treaties are, don't oh, we? Oh, yes. I looked up to see who's got them now. And there appears to be a French Sedania, which is French, obviously, and a, and a Sedania, which is Spanish. Uh, Roussillon's French. That's an area around Pepignan. Or Papignan, as it calls it on my computer voice. <laughs> <laughs> In return, Ferdinand would allow Charles to cross Italy to challenge Ferrante, the first king of Naples, to single combat. I'm not sure that it was in Ferdinand's jurisdiction to grant Charles the right to cross Italy. No. At least not at least not until he reached Naples, and probably not even then. So I was very confused about that and couldn't find anything more about it. So am I. The king of Naples, we've called Ferdinand in the past, because that's another na- another version of Ferrante. Yes. But it's going to get confusing, yes. so I'm going to stick with Ferrante. <laughs> So this seems like a bit of a slap in the face for Ferrante I, who was Ferdinand's cousin, after all. Yes, you're just getting stepped on. Yes, but Ferdinand did it partly because he really, really wanted Sedania and Roussillon, but also because it hadn't occurred to him in a million years that Charles would make it as far as Naples. Ah, okay, that makes sense then. Mm. He had so much hostile territory to cross, he would surely be stopped at Florence, and if not there, then Milan. If he got through Milan, then he'd certainly be halted at Rome. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, Ferdinand could trust his jolly good friend, <laughs> Alexander VI. No. Well, Ferdinand really believed that because they were both Aragonese, he had Alexander in his pocket. Yes. But little was Ferdinand to know that Savonarola, who was in charge of Florence, would see Charles as an avenging angel <laughs> sent from God. Go through! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alexander would listen to his crazy son Cesare and change sides. And Milan had invited them in in the first place. Yes. <laughs> so suddenly, Charles is there. Yes. He's in Naples. Whoops. Hmm. 
So Ferdinand's response to the news that the king had made it to Naples, apart from a few choice expletives, which I should imagine, was to send fleets against Charles under the leadership of Gonzalo de Cordoba, El Gran Capitan. <laughs> oh, I just want to go, El Gran Capitan, ole. It's very fun. <laughs> Ferdinand, allied with various Italian princes and Maximilian, who was already married into the Swartzer family. Yes. That happy, happy marriage. <laughs> to expel the French and install Alfonso's son, Ferranto II, as killing king of Naples. And as you can see, we've sort of jumped over Alfonso. Yes, here, we have. He, ru- he ruled for quite a short time. How short? I'm not sure, but I think of him as the Liz Truss of uh, 15th century Naples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was thinking we need to look at Naples because a lot happens in a short time. I've got a feeling, from what I remember from doing other things, that, yeah, Alfonso, his dad moves, his dad gives it up and says, no, I can't be doing with this. You take over, son. Alfonso does. Charles is on the horizon and he sort of, he pushes, oh my God. he pushes frantic in front and says, there you are, you sort it. And he disappears as well, from what I remember. Charles VIII died in 1498 and Ferdinand signed an agreement with his successor, Louis XII, and they agreed to partition Naples between them. Yes. With Campania and Abruzzo, Bruzzi and Naples itself going to the French and Ferdinand taking Apulia and Calabria. The agreement soon fell apart, as they always do. Of course. And over the next several years, Gonzalo de Cordoba, el gran capitán... Olé! <laughs> fought to take Naples from the French. There's an apocryphal story mentioned by Machiavelli in which the French ambassador told Ferdinand that his king was very upset because Ferdinand had lied to him twice. Not just once. <laughs> to which Ferdinand supposedly replied, quote, that's complete rubbish. <laughs> I've lied to him at least ten times. Oh, no. <laughs> that makes it better. <laughs> Ferdinand didn't have a problem with lying. He felt that if something he had said before was no longer relevant, if if the situation had changed, then... It wasn't lying. No, it made no difference. You might just as well change your story. Oh. Which which is why he was so successful, I think. Another sociopath. (laughs) Sociopath instead of psychopath this time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That is a Patreon reference for Sultan Mehmed. (laughs) (laughs) Tudoriferous Patreon shouldn't be allowed. He did hang people off a fortress in the the blistering heat. Yes, and let them burn. Mm. Mm. Slowly roasted. Yes, it gets quite warm in Spain. Yes. Part of the problem, at least as far as Ferdinand was concerned, was that Philip had been interfering in southern Italy. Philip had arranged that Naples should go to his son Charles, who was going to marry the French princess Claude. Oh. Louis XII's daughter. Yes. And in the meantime, Naples would be jointly controlled by Philip and Louis. Okay. Well, that's all well and good, but where did that leave Ferdinand? Well, Gonzalo de Cordoba is not called El Gran Capitan. Ole. <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> and in May 1503, he entered Naples in triumph and the French capitulated. Wow. Machiavelli, as usual, has something pithy to say on the matter. Of course. 
Is there nothing that that man doesn't have an opinion I on? I don't know. I debate <laughs> reading his book. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I seem to have read it by, by bits. Proxy. <laughs> yes, I've had so many quotes. <laughs> but this time he says, quote, Thanks to foreign troops, Italy has been conquered by Charles VIII, pillaged by Louis XII, and raped by Ferdinand of Spain, unquote. Oh. So Philip got off quite lightly there, I think. Yes. So Spain has Naples, which Naples must have loved, since Ferdinand and Isabella, because she's still alive at this point, immediately issued orders to arrest conversos who had fled Spain from the Inquisition. Oh, no. To persecute homosexuals and to expel all Jews. Run to the Ottoman Empire. They will take you in. Well, Naples must have yearned for Charles VIII. All right, he brought syphilis, but they never had all of this. <laughs> I thought I was wondering when syphilis was going to come into this. We're, we're in Naples. You can't get away from it. <laughs> and when you think about those three prominent Jews who came to Ferdinand and Isabella to plead with them to change their minds about expelling Jews from Spain, one of them had fled to Naples, so presumably he was there when it all started up again. Hmm. On a slightly lighter note... One of Julius II's earliest challenges as Pope, because Alexander had been to that fateful dinner party by, by then at Castellese's house, <laughs> Julius had to make the decision about whether to recognise the Spanish victory in Naples and invest Ferdinand with the kingdom. Oh. Well, not to do so would offend the Spanish. But to do so would offend a whole lot more people. Well, it certainly offend the French. <laughs> the problem came to a head on the Feast of St. Peter and St. Paul in 1505. The Pope was meant to get a gift from the ruler of Naples, a beautiful white horse. But who was the ruler of Naples? Officially. Oh. Julius's way of getting around this, he... Please, please do not tell me he cut the horse in half. No. Okay. He didn't do that. No, he hid. He hid in the Vatican. (laughs) (laughs) And guards were put on the doors to prevent envoys of either party from getting in. But the Spanish envoy managed to sneak in with his white horse and ambush the Pope. (laughs) Well, Julius decided his best bet was to accept both horses, but to explain clearly this in no way meant that he was coming down on one side or the other. So he's hedging his bets still. But it wasn't just the military prowess of Gonzalo de Cordoba, el gran capitán, that won Naples for Spain. Because now we're talking about 1506. Isabella had died in 1504, so that had put Ferdinand back on the marriage market. Mm -hmm. So although it was surprising that Ferdinand should have married into the French royal family, as we said, it went against everything that he and Isabella had worked for. Yes. But in fact, Germain de Foix had family on a maternal side from Navarre, so the only bit of Spain that wasn't Castile, Aragon or Portugal, and an area that Ferdinand had his eye on. Also... And more pertinent to this moment, Germain's dowry was that Louis XII would give up the claim for Naples. Wow, that's Mm. quite the dowry. Yeah, I mean, suddenly it all makes sense. He'd got Cerdagne and Roussillon from Charles and Naples from Louis. No kidding, he is winning. He seems a very lucky person. Yes, he does. (laughs) These things just fall into his lap. Yes, first Isabella, which definitely worked out for him, and now this. Mm. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have heard of him if he was if he was just Ferdinand of Aragon. No. I mean, what's Aragon? It's just a small part of Spain. Yes. But he was playing Russian roulette because if Germain died childless, the French claim to Naples would be revived. 
But if they had a male child, the child would get Aragon, rather than the, the heir of Philip and Juana, and he would get Naples rather than the French. Okay. He was adamant that a Habsburg shouldn't get its hands on Aragon, even if that Habsburg was his grandson. Really? He didn't know Charles. He had Ferdinand Jr., Charles's yes. brother, yes. in in Spain with him. But Charles was with Maximilian, with right. his other granddad. So there was no love tie or anything. No. If, any, if anything, he'd have sided with little Ferdinand. Yes. Ferdinand Germain reached Naples on the 27th of October, 1506. Ferdinand received homage from Gonzalo de Cordoba, El Gran Capitan. Olé! And then he quickly dismissed him. Oh. Cordoba was getting all the adulation, and a monarch can't have underlings getting the adulation. Really? He gets rid of his best general because of that? Because of pride? Yep. Wow. But the two men remained friends, so I think Cordoba understood that was just how things were. Or maybe he was tired. <laughs> I'm done. Maybe. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah, especially if he then put aside. He simply think, well, fair enough. <laughs> the happy couple stayed. That's Ferdinand Germain, by the way. That's not Ferdinand de Cordoba. He wasn't, he wasn't that forgiving. <laughs> they stayed in Naples until the following summer, which sounds a bit wasteful in the circumstances, what's going on in Castile. But he was busy restructuring Naples. And to put this in the timeline, Philip had died a month earlier. And if we can believe Ferdinand's letters to Catherine, Juana was begging him to return and run Castile. But he was waiting in Naples for his allies to regain power in Castile. Because now that the choice was Ferdinand or Juana, and not Ferdinand or Philip, several right. nobles who'd sided with Philip had now gone over to Ferdinand rather than the crazy woman. Oh, Okay. So it was going to be easier to re-enter Castile once most of the groundwork had been done. By the 21st of August, 1507, Ferdinand was back in Castile. And we've already looked at what happened after that briefly, and we can look in more detail in Juana's episode and decide what was really going on between father and daughter. Mm -hmm. Colonies. Africa. Is the first time we've been to Africa? Yes. La Empresa de Africa or the African Company. This was originally an attempt to take over the Holy Land. Although that didn't happen, it was a success in many other ways, if you can call taking over someone else's land a success. The Holy Land isn't in Africa. No, I think they just got that far and then stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You missed your target by quite a margin. (laughs) Well, it was a success as far as Ferdinand was concerned. It was an incursion into North Africa, which, although it's not as famous as their push into the New World, at the time it was seen to be every bit as important. However, I'm going to add to its lack of fame by glossing over it since it takes us too far from England and the politics we've been looking at. But I think his main idea of going into Africa was that Portugal had something of a monopoly over West Africa and Spain wanted to get a foothold in North Africa. Also, as Ferdinand himself confessed, this war was only a pretext for assembling an army which might become necessary to employ against France. I don't know who he confessed that to. Probably he didn't do it at the time. Mm-hmm. But Machiavelli wasn't convinced about his motive. Quote, Under the same cloak of religion, he assaulted Africa, he started his campaign in Italy, and he's recently attacked France. Unquote. So 
Yes, this cloak of religion did mean that he was able to draw on crusader funds, so that was handy. (laughs) But it all fizzled out as the situation in Italy became such that Ferdinand had to put all his energies into that. But but for that, North Africans will be speaking Spanish now instead of French. Wow. Hmm. It's funny how these little things that sort of come and go could, could have been so much bigger. And actually, there is a link with England here. Oh. Since I, yeah, I came across several letters to Englishmen creating them Spanish knights for their prowess in the African wars. Really? Henry Guilford was one of them. That's not a good thing, but really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I looked, I just looked up on his Wikipedia page to see if he'd gone there as part of the court or as a mercenary. But there was no mention of the African campaign at all. So, and I had a bit of a trawl through his life and I suddenly thought, what am I doing? This is an episode about <laughs> Ferdinand. <laughs> Just leave it. (laughs) Abort, abort. (laughs) So America. Ferdinand and Isabella kicked off the Spanish Empire in the Americas when, on the 17th of April, 1492, in Santa Fe, they committed themselves to support the expedition of Columbus. After turning him down several times until he left the city in a huff. (laughs) Oh, all right. It was like seven Mm. years it took him. Yeah. And he's the one that you erroneously thought had discovered North America, but, was, but now we all know it's, it's that great Bristolian, John Cabot. <laughs> the fall of Granada had given Ferdinand and Isabella a sense of destiny because they were, they were there to do great things. So what the hell, they decided to give it a go, this American thing. Well, they probably didn't say, let's try this America thing. They probably gave it a different name. <laughs> And we'll do an episode on on Columbus and the colonies at some point. Not sure when, so I'll leave it there. But I would like to, well, I wouldn't, but I will, look at Ferdinand and slavery. Mm, this is going to be pleasant. 1507, when it looked as if the Spanish colony in the Indies, La Española, might contain copper, Ferdinand arranged for the dispatch of three ships with mining equipment and a hundred black enslaved people. And later, when gold was being mined, which Ferdinand needed for his North African campaign, he wrote that the Indians were too feeble for the work and he sent a further 250 black enslaved people to the New World. Holy cow! Hmm. Ferdinand didn't seem to take a huge interest in what was going on in the New World. But gold did interest him, so... To his credit... And this is a tiny little bump. I was going to say, is there credit in this? (laughs) When, in August 1512, Friar Anton Montesino, who'd been in the New World, told Ferdinand how the Indians were being treated, Ferdinand was shocked. Or at least he said he was shocked. He called a royal commission to look at their grievances. And this commission met over 20 times in Burgos and actually looked into the legality and morality of taking over someone else's country at all in the name of converting them to Christianity. Which is quite a leap, really. Because yes. it doesn't seem to occur to anybody else there's a problem with this. On the one side, the bad side, was the argument that while in theory the Indians were free, liberty wasn't good for them since they were also lazy. Oh, jeez. It was Ferdinand's duty to stamp that out. Wow. And on the good side, or the less bad, slightly less bad side, it said it was not right to make war on infidels just to get their gold. Infidels may not be kept as slaves unless they refuse to accept Christianity. 
but those who did accept Christianity would still be expected to work for Spain. So, as I said, not good, but slightly no. less bad. Another opinion said that God created all men equal, because of course he did, it's in the Bible. Yes. But in war, prisoners could be used as slaves, and this was war. So, you know, what can we do? But then you think, why? Why is it war? Yeah. War implies that armies are mustered on both sides. Yes, there is no army on the other side. Well, there were armies against each other, unfortunately, but yeah. The conclusion of this commission, the Indians were to be treated as free people. They would be expected to work and would be given clothes and accommodation. No one could whip them or call them names. Aww. But for a start, this accommodation, in reality, meant them all being corralled into one area while their homes were burnt. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and who was going to make sure these oh-so-compassionate ideals were put in place in La Española? Right. So the commission's heart may have been in the right place when it started, in that they questioned whether working people to death was necessarily a good thing. But in practice... Nothing sure happened. changed, no. Oh, goodness. But they, they, they didn't actually need to enslave the lazy ethnic population because they were shipping black enslaved people over to the yeah, colonies. Yeah, and why is that okay? The commission didn't cover that, I don't think. Uh, oh, jeez. Well, Ferdinand had been present at some of these discussions in Burgos, but then he had to set off on those constant travels around Spain. Since he had wars going on in both Navarre and Italy and North Africa, his mind was probably elsewhere. And he didn't take as much interest in the Indies as he might have done since he was also dealing with other events. But maybe if he'd taken more of a role and not left everything to Bishop Fonseca, who employed people based on their family background and not their ability, maybe things might have been better. Maybe. Maybe. And finally... Ferdinand and Henry VII... Finally, we're, we're there. there. <laughs> Hello, England. Oh, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> and damp. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back in time again. When we've looked at the relationship between Henry and Ferdinand and Isabella, I always felt that the Catholic monarchs were a benign influence on Henry, maybe his only friends in Europe. Okay. While others, others were siding with Perkin and the other pretenders, although not Ralph Wilford, strangely, <laughs> Ferdinand and Isabella were on his side. Yes. Saying, they're there. We're here for you. We know he's not the Duke of York. He's just a joke. You still have to kill the other Duke, though. Oh, sorry, Earl. <laughs> I have completely rethought this opinion. Oh, really? Yes. Ferdinand... And possibly Isabella. I don't know her because I was, I was doing Ferdinand, so we'll stick with him. Ferdinand had Henry on a piece of string. And when he jerked the string, Henry danced. Really? His influence was anything but benign. That's a surprise. Yes. I like surprises like Me this. Me too. It well... topples everything over that you th <laughs> only thought of. As a, this bit was quite difficult to write because the amphiboly levels just go to skyrocket. <laughs> And it's quite hard to follow because when you get wheels within wheels within wheels, you quickly lose count about how yes. many wheels you're dealing with. And which one's turning which way? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to Henry VII's credit, Ferdinand was feeling that he'd underestimated him in negotiations, particularly the marriage negotiations with, between Catherine and Arthur. And I think Ferdinand thought that Henry needed them more than they needed him 
and so the marriage negotiations will be a pushover. Ah. But Henry refused to be pushed when there's money at stake. Yes. So there'd been a fair amount of sparring between Ferdinand and Henry without much to show for it. So in 1495, Ferdinand changed his tactics. He started infiltrating all diplomatic relations between Henry and foreign powers so that it would be up to Ferdinand whether Henry was on friendly terms with these foreign powers or not. Really? Yeah, a little whisper here or rumour there could be enough to scupper any budding diplomatic True. links between England and the continent. Yes. He managed to manipulate Henry's diplomatic links with James of Scotland, Philip and Maximilian, and he almost managed it with France. So this is where his network of envoys and ambassadors was so useful. Right. In England, Ferdinand was very keen to get people on his side so that he could circle Henry with people well disposed to Spain. So he started a campaign of letter writing. He wrote a wadge of letters, all pretty similar and most of them unnamed, and sent them to de Puebla. And these letters said, I hear you're my trusted supporters, keep up the good work, that sort of thing. Okay. And it was up to de Puebla to decide to whom to send them. Oh! The English nobleman was so pleased to receive a letter from a foreign king that they were pretty much Ferdinand's for life, and de Puebla was amazed at how little would buy these people. Oh, my goodness. Because you really do get the feeling that Ferdinand was trying to enmesh Henry in his web. Yes. Because not only would he have Ferdinand himself and his ambassadors espousing his cause, but there'd be people in England itself putting in a good word for Ferdinand. You know, I wouldn't do that, my lord. I don't think Spain would like it, that sort of thing. Ferdinand said that he found himself obliged to treat Henry as a captain treats a besieged army, endeavouring to cut off supplies and prevent his escape. And obviously Ferdinand is not talking literally, literally food supplies here, it's supplies of information. Yes. So making sure that only what he considered expedient was going to or from Henry. Wow! Mm. Well, Henry must have known what Ferdinand was up to, at least to a certain extent since the calendar of state papers said that Henry defended himself so courageously against Ferdinand's schemes that Ferdinand was forced to make more favourable terms than he had intended to get Henry into the Holy League. Huh. So I'm not sure who won that round, because Henry got better terms, in that he didn't need to have troops in readiness for a war against France, but he was forced to do something he didn't want to do just because Ferdinand made it impossible for him not to do it. Huh. Henry was reluctant to join the Holy League because a neutral stance was more useful to him. Because Charles, if you remember, offered Henry advice and assistance on how to get rid of Perkin. For instance, he told Henry that he had proof that Perkin was the son of a barber. Right. And all this seemed a little odd at the time since he had sheltered Perkin himself. But Charles's intention was to veer Henry away from Spain. But Ferdinand was doing likewise to try and keep Henry away from France. So... It's almost as if he's being pushed backwards and forwards in the playground between two bullies, really. This neutral zone was a useful place for Henry to be, so that he could make use of both sides. But Ferdinand had forced him to join the Holy League, which meant definitely siding with Spain. So how did Spain make Henry do this? I don't know. Well, Ferdinand told de Puebla... And I can't help feeling sorry for de Puebla. He must have dreaded getting missives from Spain. Because I thought, (laughs) oh, God, what do they want me to do now? Anyway, de Puebla stood up in front of Henry and his council and said that other rulers had been brought down at the behest of the Pope. (gasps) 
If Henry didn't do as Ferdinand told him, the Pope might do the same for him, Henry. Oh. I'm not sure how much Ferdinand was exaggerating his control over Pope Alexander because he was using his Aragonese roots. Right. So assuming they both together. But it's quite an unambiguous statement to make, yes. really, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, to join the Holy League or, uh, or get out. Well, you don't get out. You don't generally retire from kinging, do you? No. She was a bit more aggressive than that. Yes. The reason that Ferdinand and Isabella seemed to be the benign influence on Henry's battle with Perkin was that we saw the carrot of them saying, don't worry, we'll make sure the nasty man goes away. Yes. But I hadn't realised there was an accompanying stick. Do as we want you, or we won't make the nasty man go away. Really? Hmm. They were using Perkin against Henry just as much as Charles, Philip, Maximilian and James were. Jeez. Hmm. And since Henry saw Ferdinand and Isabella as his only allies in this matter, what they did meant a lot to him. Yes, yes. I mean, he's probably clutching at straws. Whatever they did, he was thinking, well, then I've got to stick with them because there's nobody yes, else. because nobody else was willing to help him. No. We saw Ferdinand and Isabella as being on Henry's side when so many others were at least flirting with Perkin. But again, the state papers said that it was only because a change of regime would put a spanner in the works of the smooth working of the Holy League. And that's why they sided with Henry. Yes. But they did imply very strongly that they would not be above depriving Henry of his crown if they didn't do as he was told. Wow. But Ferdinand had his own reasons for wanting to keep Henry on the throne. And that must have been what Henry was banking on, I think. Ferdinand wanted England to be ready to assist him in foreign wars. Yes. And a change of regime would make England weak and no longer any use. Very true. So if Perkin were on the throne, he would surely favour those who'd helped him, which didn't include Ferdinand. Right. But that didn't stop Ferdinand making frequent hints to Henry that a change of regime would not be impossible. I would hate to be a ruler. I oh, never awful. want to be in charge, ever. No. 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 Especially now, I think when we just got a new prime minister, and you think, why? Why do you want to do this? Yes. At this time? Yes. The reason we saw the bidding war once Perkin was in Scotland was because both France and Spain could gain influence over Perkin to use against Henry. And we accepted this as France's ploy, but attributed more benign motives to Spain because we eventually concluded that Ferdinand and Isabella would have got Perkin to Spain and then a little accident might have befallen him. Yes, but now you're making me think he just would have been the stick. Yeah, he'd have used him against Henry just as much as anybody else would have done. Oh, my goodness. Mm. And here we get a glimpse of how everything we look at is interlinked. No kidding. Ferdinand wanted to gain influence over James of Scotland so that he could get Perkin and then decide how best to use him. So Ferdinand offered James one of his illegitimate daughters, because luckily Ferdinand had thought ahead and made sure that he was well stocked with illegitimate daughters. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, you criticise him for his infidelities, but look how they're playing dividends now. <laughs> oh, I will never stop criticising that. <laughs> but James was horrified at this. He was a king... Yes. And Ferdinand was offering him an illegitimate daughter? Yes. James told Ferdinand that they weren't some tin pot little country that could be pushed around. 
I've got France wrapped around my little finger, said James. I can get the King of France to do whatever I like. Oh, really? Okay, said Ferdinand. Get the King of France to give me Sedania and Roussillon, and I'll give you one of my legitimate daughters, because this is before he's he's been handed them on a plate by Charles. Right. Charles is behave while I'm in Italy present. And it was at this point that Ferdinand and Isabella flattered James by sending him a lovely, shiny Spanish ambassador to Scotland. Because Scotland had never really had an ambassador before, had they? Because they They kept sending them home. (laughs) Yeah, they had itinerant people. They'd come in for a couple of days and then get kicked out. Mm. Well, Deayla seems the perfect choice, because if they were trying to flatter James, who better than someone who'd become best buddies with the king? Yes. Flashy and not really thinking things through very well. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Now, you may say, and we've said it before... But Ferdinand, how are you going to manage this? You don't have any legitimate daughters left. Yes. But yes, he does. Because Catherine's marriage to Arthur had been ratified, but they were not yet married. Married, right. And in fact, by January 1497, Ferdinand and Isabella had kept this betrothal to Arthur a secret. Oh. They told Henry that this was so they could use Catherine to string James along to get Perkin. Okay. You do want us to get Perkin, don't you, Henry? You Uh, don't want him to go to France, do you, Henry? Right. So to start with, Henry thought, you know, fair enough. All things fair in love and war. Yeah. But then he got to thinking, well, who was the dupe here? Yeah, am I being strung along or... Well, yes. Was he being told to keep quiet about the betrothal so they could trick James? Or was Ferdinand double bluffing Henry? Was Catherine really destined for James and Henry was the one being tricked? Uh, I feel that must have been a two in the morning revelation. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) The eyes go bang. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if Henry knew the terms that Ferdinand had concluded with James, but we do know how much Ferdinand wanted Sidania and Roussillon. And had Henry got anything to negotiate which could come anywhere near that? No, is no. answer. Infuriatingly, De Puebla's letters are missing here, so oh. we just don't know. No! But who was Ferdinand tricking, Henry or James? And did he even know himself at this point? Was he just keeping his options open? Wow. Well, Henry was afraid of just how pally James and De Ayala were, which may explain why Henry did a very strange thing. He asked France also to send an ambassador to Scotland. Whether he thought that might dilute the influence of Deayla, I'm not sure, but almost as soon as he'd done it, he was having second thoughts. Yeah. Maybe he was worried it might antagonise Ferdinand, and then Henry would lose both Perkin and Catherine. Or maybe he thought that a French ambassador in the Scottish court would would strengthen the old alliance, which was the last thing he wanted. Yeah. But... It was too late now. He'd already done it. Right. And the French had said, yeah, great. Sounds like a good idea. And bon day, they said. <laughs> Henry then wrote to Ferdinand to beg him to get Perkin. He said that the gratitude he would feel would go far beyond himself or his country. And he repeatedly told de Puebla that if Ferdinand would only keep Perkin prisoner, then Spain would command England in all things. Wow. Hmm. That's not friendly. He's handed the country over on a platter, really, isn't he? Yes. 
Then Ferdinand said he'd do nothing to help Henry in the matter. <gasps> yeah, yeah, not going to do it. Since if he were to capture Perkin, Henry would then want Ferdinand to hand him over to England and Ferdinand couldn't countenance an action that might lead to Perkin's execution. Because that's our Ferdinand. He's all heart. Oh, yeah, sure he mm. is. Oh, jeez. Well, then again, I think we can look to Maximilian's words about keeping Henry in a state of suspicion. Yes. I think it's a bit of psychological torment, really, isn't it? Yes. Can't help feeling sorry for Henry. I know we're told not to. (laughs) Nobody's nice. Nobody's nice. Henry didn't know what to do for the best. He couldn't trust France. Spain was being less than useless. I know I'll declare war on Scotland. But Ferdinand told him, don't be a pillock, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) Henry, don't do that. He said, if you lose the battle, then you lose your crown, whether Perkin gets it or not. So Henry said, "Okay, I won't do that then. Oh, my goodness. Mm. I'm beginning to wonder about his mental health at this point. Because when you think about it, we've heard so many stories about people weaving webs around Henry and his court. We've got Ferdinand, we've got Dudley and Empson, we've got Lord Dobney. Yeah. As well as out-and-out traitors like William Stanley. Yes. Henry must have felt totally at siege. Yes. And now we're going to get in trouble again on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we had a listener who was not happy that we were worried about his mental health. I'm well, worried about everyone's mental health at this time. Yes. <laughs> and up in Scotland... In the end, it was the combined influence of Spain, France, the Pope and the Scottish nobles who thought that Perkin was a liability that did for Perkin. James chartered the boat, the Cuckoo, and Perkin was allowed quietly to set to sea. Goodbye. Also, we saw that James had reason to suspect that Perkin didn't have the thousands of English followers that he claimed to have. Yes. So he's probably not overly sorry to see him gone. Yeah, where did you think he was going to pull these English followers out? He'd never been to England. Yeah, it does seem a little naive, doesn't it? Yes. I suppose, though, if the French had taken him in and then Maximilian had taken or been taken in or taken him in, it's hard to tell. Yeah. By the time he got to Scotland, he must have thought, well, there's no smoke without fire. All these other people have done it. Yes. Anyway, we know what happened after that. Perkins then sailed to Cornwall in a barrel. Marched with disgruntled Cornishmen to Taunton. He fled. He was picked up and was interrogated in the very room that I stood in the other week in Somerset Museum. Yes. Henry then got in touch with Ferdinand and said, I've got him. Now, what should I do with him? What? He actually asked Ferdinand what he should do with Perkin. What? Hmm. And Ferdinand didn't reply. And we know this because de Puebla sent Ferdinand a letter, quote, I besought your highnesses a long while ago to write your opinion and advice on how the king ought to deal with Perkin. That's what he's calling Perkin. Your highnesses have to this day never sent a word in answer. Your silence causes me pain because I am sure the king of England would do whatever your highnesses might direct, unquote. Really? And why? Why would the King of England do whatever the King of Aragon directed? Especially now that he's got Perkin, the one stick he had. Yes. I don't understand this at all. No. It just, I just, you just feel that Henry has has lost it, really, sort of handing it over, saying, Yes. I I don't know what to do anymore. (laughs) 
The calendar of state papers said that Henry construed this silence as the green light to execute Perkin. And I wondered about that. I was thinking, if I found a stray puppy and I emailed you to say, I found this puppy, what should I do with it? And then Keep I it and back. love it and snuggle it. <laughs> well, and then I checked back and found that you hadn't answered. I wouldn't then think, ah, she wants me to kill it. No kidding. <laughs> so why did he think this? That's the trouble. You've only got the information you've got. You've got to, you've got to surmise from that. And sometimes it's difficult. Well, it's not, we equated Perkin right there to a stray puppy, which is cute and cuddly and you just want to love them. Perkin had been a pain in the butt for Henry. Yeah, but why did he think not saying anything meant death? Unless he, unless he thought that Ferdinand couldn't say kill him. So by the fact he hadn't said kill him, he meant kill him. Kill him. Oh my gosh, this is so convoluted. This is why I am not in politics. Yes. <laughs> you said what? Why? <laughs> anyway, Henry felt buoyed enough after he got rid of the threat of Perkin to ask Ferdinand to call him brother. Because up to oh. then, Ferdinand had always called Henry cousin, but brother was usual between kings. So, A, oh. why hadn't Ferdinand been calling him brother? Right. B, that makes Henry sound so desperate. Yes, it does. You know, I am a proper king, honest. Please call me brother. <sighs> Maybe Henry was looking for what comfort he could find. Because this is the point where De Ayala says that he aged 20 years and he became very devout and superstitious. Yes. And his nerves were frazzled and he was ill and not going well. No. To go back to Scotland, James had been persuaded to give up Perkin in return for this Spanish princess. And he didn't get her. Instead, Ferdinand said to Henry, well, you'll have to give him one of yours. <sighs> and we know that Henry wasn't keen on this idea, but what choice had Ferdinand given him? If Henry didn't offer up Princess Margaret, would James be given Catherine of Aragon? I think that's, oh. the, that's, that's the situation he, he's in. Right. Well, no, probably not. But I don't know whether Henry would have known this. Because Ferdinand had told James that he could have a Spanish princess if he persuaded the French king to give Ferdinand Sedan and Roussillon. But by this time, Charles has already gone to Italy, so Ferdinand has got them. Right. So what has James now got that Ferdinand could possibly want? Perkins gone. Sedan and Roussillon were part of Aragon. Yes. If Ferdinand had been playing Henry and James along as to who would get Catherine, then Henry held all the chips now. Yeah. At least James has no chips. He's chipless. <laughs> <laughs> so Catherine's loss was Margaret's gain. Lucky Margaret got to go and live with James the Fourth, And Henry was never happy with this plan, but if he wanted the marital link with Spain, he had to go along with it. Wow. But then, as we've heard, James said he didn't want her. Didn't want poor little no, Margaret. poor little Margaret. <laughs> Did he feel, as George W. Bush once said, fool me once, shame on, uh, shame on. Shame on. You? Me? That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> He'd already been told quite definitively he could have a princess, who it now turned out was going to marry Prince Arthur. Was this other princess mythical as well? <laughs> <laughs> 
James said he wouldn't do anything without consulting De Ayala. Which is weird. Mm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. De Ayala was in London, so all steps were taken to keep them apart. And this shows how this great friendship between De Ayala and James really was just a diplomatic mission on De Ayala's part. Yes. James wrote again and again saying, come back, I need to talk to you about this. Yes, he did. Yeah, and De Ayala, presumably on Ferdinand's orders, possibly Henry's, I'm not sure, just kept giving evasive answers about, about why you wouldn't go, I'm not feeling well. Your beer's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, as we know, James had to agree to take Margaret. And I am looking forward to Margaret's episode. I wonder if she, she resented all this. And what was their life like together? <laughs> I don't know. She will be covered if Rex Baxter does the consorts for Scotland. She will eventually be covered there. But I don't know how much detail they'd go into. I don't know. We've got her in our boxes. We've got uh, yes. Margaret and Mary. Yes. And did he practice his amateur, amateur dentistry on her? <gasps> oh, <laughs> no, thank you. To cut down on the machinations between Ferdinand and Henry VII for one episode, I've put the negotiations for Catherine's weddings to both Prince Arthur and Henry into their own episode where we get to play, as I said last week, who treated Catherine worse, Henry or Ferdinand? Yeah. And then there's a further episode called Henry in Love to come out on Valentine's Day in which we can Ooh. follow yet more machinations between England and Spain as Henry tried to look for a second wife for himself. But for this time, we'll leave it here. Having seen how Ferdinand manipulated Henry the Seventh, next week we'll see how he dealt with Henry the Eighth, his son-in-law. Yes. And I think we may well gather from it all that for Ferdinand, being part of the family didn't make you immune from his scheming. Quite oh, no. the opposite. <laughs> Quite oh, the opposite. No. We definitely have to do Louis XI at some point. That'll be a Patreon episode because it comes before this. And yeah. then try to compare the two. I actually began to feel a bit sorry for Henry VIII, and I never thought I'd say that. Really? <laughs> He's the young Henry VIII, so yes. not the awful one. Young and gullible. Yeah. Mm. So there we go. There's a bit of England in there in the end. Yes, but very interesting and unexpected. And complicated. And complicated. How yes. every, everything seemed to be relying on something else. Yes. Relying on Spanish princesses or Perkin or Holy League. Or yes. Everything was enmeshed. Yes. Mm. So hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you again next week to watch Henry VIII fumble his way through international <laughs> politics. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.